You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just aimed at the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived and worked in rural places and who are doing God's work in these places. I am your host, Joe Epley, and today we get to have a really unique interview for two reasons. One, I really love diverse perspectives, and even though this is a podcast aimed primarily at Uh, You could say maybe pastors or church leaders. It is really fun to bridge worlds, right? To see how different areas kind of connect. And so today we get to interview someone who is uh, both in like vocational ministry and around vocational ministry, but is also in the world of economic development. And and how do those things work together? Well, it's going to be really exciting to hear about how that happens. The second reason I'm excited is because our interviewee today is my wife, Beth Epley, who is both a licensed minister and has spent the last seven years working in economic development in southeastern Montana, predominantly focusing on rural communities. And so the first thing I want to say is, hi, dear. How you doing? <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm so excited to have you on here today. I know that um, I have gotten the privilege of knowing your ministry and what you've done and how you've connected with our southeastern Montana communities. Um, But to kind of throw that out to a broader audience and to say, hey, how can these lessons we learn from one sphere help us as pastors and as church leaders kind of do our work in community better? And so I guess the first thing I want to ask you is the thing we ask all of our guests, which is, uh, can you describe kind of your background specifically as it relates to ministry? And then your connection to the rural church. Sure. So um, my background started with ministry probably as a student, actually. I was very involved at church from a young age, grew up in small town churches and really loved that. And then further went on to Evangel University, where it is a Christian school and continued to build on ministry there. And then eventually I married you, who yeah, was here we are. a full-time pastor <laughs> and Through that, I've been serving in various roles in the church, probably almost all of them in some capacity or another. Um, I've helped with youth group, helped with kids' church, nursery, Sunday school. Um, I've led our women's ministry department for the last probably five years. Yeah. So just really had a broad range, um, worn a bunch of hats in the rural church, which I think is pretty common. Um, And then in, in addition to just kind of all of those, just served as like, the pastor's wife. Yeah. And you yourself are a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God. Yes. I mean, yep. that's pretty exciting. So, <laughs> Yeah. I really felt like that was important, not just to be your wife sure. um, in this role, but also to recognize God's calling on my life, separate, but also in conjunction with your right. calling. Um, and so, yeah, so I am now a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God. Yeah. And, uh, and something our listeners may not know is that's something my wife and I have prioritized is the fact that we have both always been called of God and it's never been a either or, or, or who's, who's, you know, more called or less called. It's like, Hey, we are both called to be ministers of the gospel, to be, uh, followers of Jesus. Um, which brings me to my second question, because, um, in conjunction with all these various hats you've worn, which is again, like you said, very common, Um, But you have also worked in economic development. And so could you maybe take some time and fill us in on how you've kind of ministered in the marketplace? You've walked both worlds. You've been in the church, but also working a secular job. And so, like, 
What have you done in your role of economic development? Sure. Yeah, something that has always been on my heart, probably my whole life, is to be a Christian outside of the church. Um, So that's when I went to college, I got a degree in public administration. um, And as while I always felt called to continue to minister, I always knew that it would be not necessarily the traditional, like in vocational paid church ministry. So over a number of years and situations, there was an opening in our local economic development nonprofit organization. And I applied for the job having very little knowledge of (laughs) what I was doing, but willing to learn. And I loved I love the idea of economic development. And really what I was doing was economic and community development sure. in conjunction. Um, and I love that it was basically you get to be an advocate and like grow the place where you are. And that was something that really resonated well with me. Then I loved Eastern Montana. I think that it's sometimes overlooked, but I feel that it has shaped who I am. It's where mm. I was raised, um, where I've spent most of my life and just to continue to get paid to love those people and to make our communities better sounded like like the perfect job. So, sure. so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, along those lines, you know, can you fill us in on some of the specifics of, of what economic or community development looked like on a day to day basis? Yeah. So, economic development, community development, a lot of it involves giving businesses advice and assistance and helping them go from like an idea to actual startup. Moving from, I have this skill set and I really want to actually make it a profitable business. So we help them with like business planning and getting financial assistance, Um, walking through like the tough questions about like, how are you going to make payroll? Who is, who are your key partners in this? And making sure that people know what they're getting into in starting a small business. Sure. Um, Small businesses are frequently the background of of our, our rural communities. And so getting them as much support and assistance, providing classes and education. We did a number of trainings to help um, equip those businesses in town. I also worked very closely with our cities and counties, did a ton of grant writing um, for infrastructure development. There's kind of a narrative that small towns are dying. Sure. Um, and I will push back on that and say that they are growing. They're changing and we are redeveloping. And so the way that a lot of that happens is through supporting your local governments and allowing them to have the the modern infrastructure they need to continue to grow and to meet the needs that we have in all of our small towns. Um, Because it's really nice to have running water. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's been really cool for me to watch as, as your husband, because um, at first, when you took this job, I'll admit I was pretty foreign to the whole idea, and the word economic development just sounds really vague and abstract. But um, as soon as you discover, it's like, man, you're you're putting in infrastructure systems, you're helping small businesses flourish, you're helping events happen in communities, you're bringing life to towns. I mean, it's just really some encouraging stuff. And I think for me, the most surprising moment was when. Uh, what you were learning in your secular job was starting to bleed back into my own approach to ministry. And I was like, whoa, hold up here. There's there's actually like this gold mine of information and gold mine of principles that kind of crosses over. And so from from both vantage points, knowing church life and then also working on economic developments, I just want to ask that question and you can you can answer it however you want, but how important is it for pastors to be involved 
in their community? Like, because again, I think we always get stuck with like, we're adding religious value, we're preaching, isn't that kind of enough can be the feeling or the sentiment. It's like, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm caring for the, visiting the person in the hospital and I'm preaching on Sunday mornings and I'm taking the, the board members out to chat about stuff and, and all those things. But like, beyond that, you know, again, you got to walk both worlds. So like, what, you know, why is that so important? I would say being involved in your community is right up there with how with your Sunday preaching and mm. what in the importance and the weight that it holds. I think once you you need to we have to meet people where they are. I know you can try to just open the doors and see how well that works for your church it, for people just to come. Um, but I would argue that you're not going to be successful long term unless you build relationships with others, um, both inside your church and outside your church. I think if a pastor could have a job or a role outside of the church not related to specifically them as their pastor, Hmm. it will create so many more inroads. So whether that is being a volunteer with like Little League or sitting on your chamber of commerce or on some civic club, being part of the PTA, something where you are not there because you are pastor or reverend whoever but because you are a person who cares about the same things that these people care about yeah that will i feel like that will create so many more inroads and opportunities that you wouldn't get otherwise and you it creates more opportunities for you to see your parishioners out in the community see how they interact um, with others are there growth opportunities that you can minister and speak into that you wouldn't be able to be a witness to otherwise hmm yeah. And honestly, I think uh, uh, I've seen that played out time and time again, where it's like, man, we part of that changing nature that you mentioned of small towns is that small town churches specifically, we have to move from a model of saying I add religious value to I need to add overall value to the community. I, I think of a story that we both share is uh, our church was involved in starting a coffee shop and it's the only standalone coffee shop in town. And I remember when... Um, when we got off that off the ground, <clears throat> you and I had been living and working back in the community for almost seven, eight years at that point. And uh, we had local business owners who would come up to us and say, hey, you guys brought life to Main Street. Mm-hmm. And they weren't saying kudos on your religious services and kudos on that Christmas thing you did and kudos on your preaching. They were saying, you did something to love our town that was just to love the town. And, yeah. it, and it made a huge difference, right? Yeah. Something we talk about a ton in economic development is value add. So a lot of times it's specifically in agriculture, um, you know, value added agriculture, where you take your raw commodity and you create it into something that has greater value. Oh, so sure. like taking your wheat and making it into bread, sure. selling it at a higher price. So sure. then you can actually... You're adding value to your product. But recently, even in my role as economic development, we've been looking at taking that principle of value add and expanding it to other areas. What other ways can I add value to a situation, to a product, to a community? And I, that's exactly what happened with our coffee shop is right. we added value to our, in a really just a tangible way to our main street. And I think if churches can examine, like, what, what product do I have? What's here in my hand? And how do I make it better? How do I add value to that and create a better I mean, product is what we use sure, in economic sure, development sure. as a term, but what gift, what talents, what skill set is here in my church? What do I own as our church? What values do we have that we can create more value in our community? Yeah, that's powerful stuff. I uh, I, I want to maybe 
speak to a group of people who might look at the the concept and say, "Man, it would be happy and dandy if I could if I could add value to my community." But I do know sometimes pastors can feel a little lost. You know, I know that walking both worlds, there's relationships you've managed to see, and moments you've been present for where you're like, "Man." this was a huge win that our pastors might just overlook just because they don't know where to start. So are there some key relationships they can form or key community things they should be on the lookout for that would allow them an easy on-ramp, or at least maybe not easy is the right word, but an on-ramp into being present in their community? I would say there's a couple questions you can ask yourself and say like, what is our community known for? Okay. And how do I support that? Hmm. How do I take the vision that's already there and continue to build on that and support that vision. So a lot of times it's around your schools. You're coming sure. in our small towns. Your your mascot <laughs> right. is who you are. It's your the sports Spartans team, for us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so supporting that and offering snacks on the travel bus. Yeah. Things that like are just easy on ramps. Bringing, I mean, even bringing treats to our teachers and and janitors and our administration. Those are things that like can easily build relationships with people who are in authority and power in your community. Because in my job, I worked very closely with our county commissioners and our city council. And so I got to bring projects and ideas to them that they weren't, that just weren't on their radar. They were handling a bunch of other stuff. And so looking at who are kind of the power players in your community and then share your heart and your vision with them on on key points that there might be like mutual agreement and build sure. together and be a team. I think that's has been the best way. I think every project needs a champion. Sure. And so if you have the heart um, and somebody and you have the resources or maybe you don't have the resources, but you have like the idea, find your partner with the resources and then make it happen. It's, yeah. Everything in small towns happens together, and it's part of that cultural value. It's part of what makes us really great. Right. Um, and so use the the mutual values, mutual skill set, passions that already exist, and then build off of that. So, yeah, yeah look, look for your community champion and then see how you can support them. You will find so much more success blazing a trail together than just trying to do things out on your own. Sure. Yeah, and honestly, like, you know, when, when I, even as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, what mutual values would the church share with this community? But even simple words, you know, uh, uh, if you said the word family, I mean, most small towns are saying, yeah, we want to support our families and have them do well. Well, man, there are so many gospel truths that would back up that statement of yeah. helping marriages, helping kids. Uh, you could go as far as saying, man, does your town have a certain struggle? It's like, man, if, if a town's struggling with mental health, well, my goodness, like the church could come alongside that Absolutely. pretty easily. And so like, it's cool to maybe maybe understand that, hey, these are these are not specific things. It's like, no, let's, let's get general, but let's find those champions that are working that way. Yeah, I think what helped us have success in our context was our church had a youth center. So they had a building. Right. And they recognized that we valued youth in our community, yeah. but so do so many other people. Right. And through that, you built partnerships with local businesses who, right. who saw, who did not want to spend time every night down yeah, at the youth center yeah. with teenagers, but they did see <clears throat> the need for a safe place, a place where students could feel accepted and loved. And they, while well, they weren't willing to sit there every night right. and be but with they them, us up. they were willing to, yeah, back up financially, to support, to give in so many ways. Yeah. You found a mutual 
a mutual value and you used it together. Yeah. And over the years, there was a lot of reciprocation. I mean, it was us donating 30 pizzas to the after prom party, which cost us, but was a way to pay back kind of our mutual investment in students. And so, man, that's cool stuff. So I hope that that kind of becomes an encouraging conversation for some pastors who may be looking at different ideas going, hey, what can we do? Um, so, so this last part is just kind of a real nuts and bolts statement. And it's a passion of mine that I think only happened because I'm married to you. So I don't think it would have developed naturally. Um, but you've started to use a word in the last several years of our marriage. And I think you've practiced it before that, but I've become aware of the term and the term is placemaking, right? Yep. And from my limited adopted understanding, placemaking is just the art of saying, if you build a space and not just a church space, but could be a church space, but you're building a space Mm -hmm. that can support like a community moment or a, or a, or some sort of event or whatever. It's like, you are making space for things to happen. Mm -hmm. I, as a pastor, like to compare it to even how we try and design church services to give people time to respond to the Lord. And like, so there's this, this concept. So break it down from your terms, because I think you know it a little better than me, but I want to hear about it. What is placemaking and how can our pastors take advantage of it? Yeah. So placemaking in one like quick definition is like, Nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Mm. So if you can take something that is underutilized, dead, empty, and create a place that is vibrant and alive that people want to be, then more people will want to be there and more Mm. people want to invest there. So we'll see this in a really practical way. Say you have a vacant lot in town, Mm -hmm. like we all do. It's just there's full of weeds. Nobody's using this. Maybe it's right on your main street. Sure. And you say, well, what if I created a park there? Sure. Um, added something simple as benches, mowed it down, maybe some play equipment or put a stage and you make it a place for a community theater. Hmm. Something that was previously unused, undervalued, not at its full potential, but is now being a place where there is life. There is growth happening, things, and it draws other people in. I think why... I like placemaking at its heart is I appreciate, I appreciate beauty and I like to create spaces that are welcoming and fun and that you come in and you have a different feeling. And we've done this in lots of different ways. We do it with like church events. We do it with the church itself. We did it with our coffee shop, but I was thinking about this and I think what I really like is it kind of goes back to Back to Genesis, where God is like the original placemaker. When you go back to creation, where it's just like void, it's nothing, it's underutilized. And God looked at it and said, I'm going to create life. I am going to create purpose and a place where people want to be. And he created a garden. Yeah. And he Um, didn't just create people first. He created the, 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 the sun and the moon and the stars and the day and the night and the plants. I mean, he made a whole, he made a whole place, you know. He made a place. Yeah. And it, God could have just created the world in like a desert and then put us there. Yeah. But he didn't. He created a place that was full of life, that people wanted to be, that there were things happening. There was growth. There was vitality. And I think we in our in our souls are always searching for that. It, I think it's built into hmm. us as people to to seek something that where there is vibrancy, where there is life. And I that can be a challenge in a rural community. We've, we frequently fear like, oh, that growth is happening elsewhere. It's sure. not happening here. But I think that there are such small, tangible 
impactful ways that you can create that in your own community. And it, it matters. It makes a difference. People will notice if you go and pull weeds on the empty sidewalk that's in front of a vacant building. Yeah. Um, you might have to go back and do it again. Right. But little things like that will get you noticed in your community. Right. And if we think of the pathway that creates, let's say again, let's just take that hypothetical example of a park. Not only are you taking a space that was unused and making it better, which is going to speak to business owners, community stakeholders, people who love to see their town taken care of. It's going to help you if you are moving into that community. It's going to help you be viewed less as an outsider and more as a contributor. And then you've now built this space and you have the ability to use it for community purposes. And once there's a bunch of people standing on the space you made, yeah. having a conversation, well, guess what? Now you've got open doors relationally, yeah. which eventually feeds ministry, right? I Absolutely. mean, like that's, you know, so it's kind of cool to watch that play out. Yeah, I think it's great. One of the things I would encourage any pastor to be is the biggest cheerleader for wherever they are. Mm. I know it's it's hard because we see a lot of the issues right. of our towns. Right, we the see, broken marriages and the t- and tough scenarios. But I know in my role, it was my job to think that <laughs> southeastern <laughs> Montana was the best place in the world and to fight for that town and to do everything I could to make it better and to see where there was opportunity, see where there was growth potential, um, and just to say, like, no matter what you say, you could tell me that Western Montana is the most beautiful place in the world. Sure. Glacier and National Park, do all tell the me, things, yada, yada. But I will always <laughs> fight for Eastern Montana. Right. I think people, they want to know that our pastors are, they love where they are. Right. And that they are invested and that it's not a short time thing. Or a stepping stone is a word that gets thrown around. Yeah. I know in our small towns, I've heard from different parishioners, congregation members, and they say, well, you get to leave as the pastor. You yeah. will move on. Yeah, but there are people tied to the land. But we are here, literally tied. Like literally living. tied. They are like fourth they generation can't. farmers. <laughs> and so to have that advocate, to know that the person um, that, your, that your pastors, that your church leaders are there and that they, they want to be there, that they are choosing to be there. Um, can speak volumes and allow so much more um, barriers to come down, growth opportunities. I don't know how many times people have been able, who knew that I was either your wife as the pastor or knew that I was involved in our church heavily, and they would come and talk to me about spiritual things that had nothing necessarily to do with economic development, but just because they had worked with me, they felt like I loved the same place that they loved, they yeah. were willing to open up and share. And so mm. if you can just you just be the biggest cheerleader for where you are, learn as much about your community, get all the old names. They People love people that. People love old names. It's true. Though and, there's always a local And be, and uh, be genuine about it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Saying you're like, not being cheesy, but it's the desire to say, this is the place I'm supposed to be, then then I'm going to make this place the best. Yeah. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of that quote, uh, my wife more than myself, but we both do share an affinity for the Denver Broncos. And most recently they hired Sean Payton. And of course, Sean Payton is a longtime NFL coach, has coached the Saints. And 
in one of his first interviews after he took over, the the Kansas City Chiefs division rivals to the Broncos were playing the Super Bowl. I know, Beth goes book. She cares a lot more about the Broncos than I do. But um, he commented on that. You know, they said, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? And he said, well, we're not rooting for the Chiefs because we don't root for division rivals. This guy has been a Denver Bronco for all of 10 seconds. He gets it. But he gets it. He understands that, like, when you're in a place... Sometimes, and this is maybe just speaking a challenge to our pastors, because I know that my wife personally challenged me on this front as well. But I remember when I moved to Baker, I was just not quite sold on the town. It was just hard to get used to, and it wasn't what I what I. And in some ways, it wasn't what I liked, and all these things. And one day, my wife just said, "Hey, you need to stop talking about where you came from because you're either here now or you're not." And again, I think of that quote because it didn't matter that Sean Payton was just a head coach for somebody else. Didn't matter what he liked or didn't like. He's there. And if God's called you there, he's called you to love where you're at. Mm-hmm. So, man, Beth, um, thank you. Obviously, for a lot of reasons, I love you. But some of these insights <laughs> are uh, definitely part of that. So thank you so much for speaking to our pastors today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, it, it is, again, our pleasure every single week to bring you content that is not just aimed uh, to the Royal Church, but is spoken by people who get it. We hope that uh, even through the realm of economic development, whether you thought about it you know, before today or not, that you'd be encouraged to uh, make space in your community, to invest in a way that shows how much you care, um, not just about uh, what the church is doing, but about the community as a whole. And so um, we hope you're encouraged. We hope you're challenged. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcast or on Spotify or on our website, ruraladvancement.com. But true to rural form, the best way for this podcast to spread is by word of mouth, simply from one pastor looking at another and saying, hey, have you heard this? I think it would help you out. So I have been your host, Joe Epley, and she has been the one, the only, the incredible Beth Epley. And uh, we will see you next week.